Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC Vegas 36, headlined by Derek Brunson going up against Darren Till in a very interesting middleweight matchup that I can't wait to break down for you guys. We got some other barn burners on the card. It's only a 10 fight slate, uh, but I'm still very much looking forward to breaking down this card for you guys. Now, last time around, we went out there um, for UFC Vegas. Vegas 35. We'll quickly get into the betting recap here for you guys. Uh, and we ended up snapping our three event winning streak. So let's start off with the lock and I played, which whiffed was the under one and a half in the Petrovsky and Gilmore fight. Uh, Petrovsky got his positions, but just couldn't find the opening. Uh, luckily for him, he ended up getting the finish in the third round. But, uh, you know, unluckily for us, it was not under one and a half. So that was a bit of a bummer. But Petrovsky did show some good cardio. It seemed like he didn't mind going a little bit later into this fight but uh, it seemed like if he picked his spots a little bit better in that first round we probably would have cashed that and had four straight winning events in a row unfortunately minus four units at minus 150 uh, so the lock of the night play crashes there we did have a very successful dog of the night play, which I wish I went a little bit deeper on. We had one unit at plus 135 on the Jacoby and Stewart fight for the under two and a half. That hits for plus 1.35 units. Jacoby absolutely dummying Darren Stewart, just as I expected him to. And again, the only regret that I have on that is not putting more in it to uh, kind of, you know, stop the bleeding a little bit more, especially from the lock of the night play whiffing. So all in all, we finished the night minus 2.65 units. Again, snapping a three event winning streak, hoping to get right back on the horse to this weekend with UFC Vegas 36 again uh plays will actually be free this week so uh plays will be free until we go on another three event winning streak and then we're back to the patreon paid picks but again just for the patreons uh i do post the play immediately on patreon but the public has to wait until friday evening to actually get the plays for free uh and that's when i actually drop it to the public so uh that's a little bit of an incentive in terms of joining up with the patreon link is in the description below five bucks a month you guys get the official picks right off the bat you guys get a best bets and props article you guys get a prize picks tips article where i go over over every single fight and give you my best prize pick tip for it uh and not to mention uh we have a great discord community as well where people are just dropping picks for other sports and other games and stuff so it's great and not to mention a very positive community as well where everybody's kind of looking out for each other we do have some heated debates at times but everybody comes out on the other end knowing that all of our intentions are good and we're just trying to help each other make money so shout out to the discord because i love you guys secondly want to shout out the merch i'm not wearing it right now but uh mma lock of the night merch is in the description below we got hoodies we got uh mugs we got uh tumblers all that type of good stuff uh so make sure you guys go check that out not to mention the t-shirts as well lastly want to shout out coolbet coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to uh 200 bucks um so make sure you guys go check them out you can parlay props they got great odds on a bunch of uh fights and not to mention other sports obviously uh but they are probably one of the best sites in terms of the intuitiveness and um, their interface in terms of the things that they bring to the table you can analyze your betting techniques and your methods and all of that type of stuff there's just so many great tools on that side which is why coolback continues to blow up on a month-to-month basis and again i i've gotten a lot of people uh through the promo code that i've been dropping so i hope we can continue that train rolling once again that's coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks all right it's pretty much a wrap on my end for the intro here. We will get right into the breakdowns for you guys. If you guys haven't already, make sure you hit that like, hit that subscribe, 
and then enjoy the breakdowns, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Jonathan Martinez versus Marcelo Rojo. We got minus 160 on Martinez and plus 140 on Rojo. And this is another spot where I'm actually liking the under two and a half uh, at slight plus money, as I do believe that this is going to be a violent fight for the most part. Jonathan Martinez is obviously the better technical striker in this fight, but we do have some question marks regarding his chin after he went out there and got knocked the fuck out by Tavy Grant in the second round of their fight. Uh, Martinez was close to finishing Davy Grant at the end of the first round and then Davy Grant came out with an absolute fire and really put Martinez on the back foot eventually finding that knockout shortly thereafter Marcelo Hojo on the or Rojo on the other hand uh, made his short notice UFC debut against Charles Jordan up a weight class but now he's actually back down to 135 pounds and we should see a better version of himself although he still went out there and put on a pretty good performance against Charles Jordan and I believe they actually ended up getting fight of the night that night Charles Jordan did end up knocking out Rojo with about, I believe, what, less than a minute left, left, less than 30 seconds left. So good enough durability on Rojo, especially with the amount of damage he took in that third round. But I do think that we'll see a better version of him this himself this weekend. And I wouldn't be surprised if he actually went out there and knocked out Jonathan Martinez, which is why I like the under two and a half here, because I think both guys have those finishing capabilities. Rojo majority of his wins coming by knockout coming via finish uh and all the losses that he has or at least the majority of the losses that he has uh have come via submission uh Jonathan Martinez out of his 13 victories two of them have come via submission so I don't know if that's truly going to be an avenue for him here maybe a club and sub situation is something that will uh you know suffice for him but I do think that both guys have killer instinct I think both guys can finish each other which is why like I said I like the under two and a half here Rojo at times takes a little bit too much damage but he does wade through the fire a little bit and go out there and try to land his own big shots and i think that that's where martinez could struggle here in terms of implementing his own game I don't know if Rojo took too much from the the calf kicks and the leg kicks he was able to land on Charles Jordan, uh, but if he brought that here against Jonathan Martinez, that should allow him to close the distance a little bit better, not worry about too much power coming back his way from Jonathan Martinez, and then let his hands go and potentially find that chin of Martinez. Martinez does, uh, actually, Rojo's actually going to be, you know, same size as him and uh, have a one-inch reach advantage, so these guys are pretty much identical in terms of statures, and I think that's going to be different for Martinez in terms of being able to implement that long-range fighting that he does, um, especially with that long jab and that one-two that he brings down the middle. I still think that Martinez has some good uh, potential left, but I think I want to see him get a little bit further from that Davy Grant knockout before I go out there and back him again. Uh, you know, obviously as a minus 300 losing, it's not a good look, but the weight that he got dropped and, you know, how the severity of it, it, it does leave uh, a, a couple question marks in terms of, you know, was it too soon for him to come back into the cage, especially against a heavy hitter here like Marcelo Rojo. So um, I know Rojo is a little bit limited in terms of his uh, striking abilities, but he does have a ton of power. He does have a plethora of finishes on his record. And I do think that he can go out there and land that big bomb on Martinez. So I'm actually going to pick Rojo in this spot. I'm going to pick Rojo probably by second round KO. Um, but the longer it goes, I do feel it uh, benefits Martinez. But I would still like to see Rojo here at his uh, natural weight class, the weight class he should have been fighting at this entire time, and also getting a decent training camp in for this fight against uh, Martinez. So I'm going Rojo, uh, but my favorite spot is the under two and a half. So I'm going to go Rojo via second round KO. Um, 
but yeah, I definitely think he's a live dog on this card, and he can make it very difficult for Martinez to get his game going. So I'm going Rojo, second round KO. Marc-Andre Barrio versus Dolce Lungiambula. We got minus 160 on Barrio and plus 140 is return here on Dolce, formerly champion when he was over in the EFC, but now John Anik made sure it's right. They're calling him Dolce Lungiambula. Now, very interesting fight here because we got uh, Marc-Andre Barrio, who's won three and one in his last five fights, but has shown tremendous progress as a fighter, uh, especially since moving down there to Sanford MMA. And then Dolce Lungiambula, who's still trying to get comfortable at 185 pounds after coming off a decision victory against Marcus Perez. Now, Dolce, uh, Dolce Lungiambula seemed like he was starting to slow down later in that fight, and it seemed as though he's still getting comfortable at middleweight, like I said, and his cardio and his uh, his weight cut probably had a little bit to do with the fact that he was not able to sustain a decent showcase uh, or showing in that third round against Marcus Perez. I think Dalta is heavily reliant on that knockout power and then eventually close the distance and get in top control against his opponents. But from on top, he doesn't really do too much. You know, he doesn't really seek submissions, nor does he really seek some crazy ground and pound. And I think that, that that's where he's going to have trouble here against Marc-Andre Barrio. Barrio does a good job in terms of getting back to his feet and always staying moving and active. Uh, and then even with his pressure, once he feels like he has his opponent, you know, kind of accepting that back foot, he just always stays on top of them and, uh, you know, always gives them a tough time in terms of getting set and getting their own game going i wouldn't be surprised if see andre barrio actually be successful in terms of landing his own takedowns here and grinding out dolce in his own right and i do think that we'll actually see that in this fight i think the early round will probably be for dolce lungi and mula but after that i think we'll see mark andre really go out, really go out there showcase his pressure and his uh superior cardio and i think he should go out there and absolutely grind out dolce in this spot I like Barrio. I like the progress that he's been making. I know he really stumbled out the gate coming into the UFC, losing decisions uh, to Andrew Sanchez, Christoph Jaco, and Jun Young Park. But I feel like stylistically speaking, this is almost, excuse me, almost a similar fight to when Barrio fought Abu Azaitar. You know, Azaitar obviously has a ton of power in his hands and he's been able to finish fights earlier, uh, similar to what Dalcha Lungia Buller brings to the table. But I will say, I give Lungiambula a little bit more uh, credit in terms of being able to take uh, land takedowns. I believe he has a decent judo background as well, which will play very importantly for him here against Marc-Andre earlier. Uh, but then again, that gas tank uh, is kind of similar to Azaitar's as well. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Marc-Andre pull off another third round uh, victory just as he did last time against Azaitar. I remember watching that Azaitar fight. I was watching with some of my boys and I had a, you know, a poke on that round three prop, which was roughly around plus 1200 and luckily it came through for us with four seconds left but Barrio was absolutely putting the hurting on Abu Azaitar in that second and third round even if it went to a decision I do think that Barrio would have got his hand raised but I think here against Dolce he's going to need to win those second and third rounds and really nullify the amount of damage he takes early in this fight against Dolce uh, if it escapes that first round, I feel like it's Marc-Andre all the way. You know, Dolce could have some success early in this fight, or sorry, early in that second round. But after the, you know, the going starts getting tough, uh, I think Dolce will struggle, especially with his inability to kind of keep fighters to the ground. And there have been, you know, numerous occasions where we've seen Dolce, you know, even on in top position, be so lackadaisical and have a lack of urgency uh that uh, the referees have actually been forced to stand the fight up. And I think that could be, uh, you know, just a testament to the fact that, you know, he knows he has good talk, you know, he's winning minutes uh, just by, you know, landing the takedown and then just trying to conserve his energy for the, you know, inevitable factor that he's going to have to look for another takedown later in that fight. 
against Barrio here, I think he's going to struggle to do so. I think that Barrio, like, again, he will get taken down. And I do think that we'll see Dalcha, you know, be successful in that first round. But the longer that it goes, it's going to be harder for him to hold him down. Then it's going to be harder for him to take him down. And then it's going to be harder for him to deal with that pressure. You know, Dalcha does have that one-punch knockout power that uh, Mark andre is going to have to worry about. But I feel like training with Sanford MMA has truly helped round out his game so that he can stay at distance and evade the big shots and then eventually get his own uh, punches and clinch game and possible takedowns going himself i don't think dalcha has much to offer off of his back which is why mark andre should be fine on top and even getting up i think lungu and bula is going to struggle here especially the, the later that this fight goes so i've kind of been touting that mark andre barrio you know very good spot in this fight not the greatest fighter but has all the tools to go out there and beat a guy like dalcha lungu and bula not to mention the fact that he's been training over there at sanford mma for the last couple fights now but with dalcha you know made big changes before his last fight as well he went over there to extreme couture started training with eric nixick and those guys so i'm sure they have something good up their their sleeves for this fight but i truly believe that there's nothing any coach the best coach in the world cannot go out there and give you better cardio and i think that's where dolce's uh game truly starts to fall off when his skill set is not able to hang with his cardio or vice versa it's not a good look and i think he's going to struggle here against a guy like barrio so i'm going barrio feel quite strongly about him here as well could be a potential lock of the night play now that we do have uh we're going back to free lock of the night plays uh but i do uh, really think that barrio will end up being that lock of the night play for me i'm gonna go barrio third round tko but i wouldn't you know uh count out a, a decision here either so uh the official prediction is actually going to be andre barrio uh round three tko Charles Jordan versus Julian Arosa. We got minus 180 on the Canadian Charles Jordan, and we got to, uh, plus 160 as a return on Juicy J, Julian Arosa. Now, this fight should be absolute fireworks, right? I'd be surpri- surprised if we see either side go out there and try to take this fight to the ground, although I do believe that it would be a much easier path for whoever decides to go that route. Uh, with that said, I think both guys are going to go out there with the dick swinging contest and try to knock each other out. I think both guys obviously uh, want to kind of make a name off the uh you know make the highlight and get that performance of the night type of performance and i feel like these guys can go out there and do that against each other whether it's you know three rounds of them banging or uh you know a round or a round and a half of them banging and then eventually one of them getting knocked out i do like the durability that i've been seeing from charles jordan over his last several fights the guy's been hit by big big shots in the past and never really has gotten to the point where it's been close to him getting finished um and I do think that he can kind of dish it out the same here against Julian Arosa, where he'll actually have, uh, you know, I believe the power advantage. I do think both guys get a little bit too wild at times and can be countered and possibly put out, uh, which is why I kind of like the under two and a half in this fight. Um, I think it's currently sitting at under two and a half is currently sitting at minus 150. Uh, it also I, I can't tell if it's actually the widely available one because there's a couple websites with the two and a half and a couple websites with the one and a half but the under two and a half currently sits at minus 150 so a little bit of chalk there but rightfully so man these guys go out there and they bang and they throw vicious power behind their strikes and they're looking for fight ending intentions just as we saw from julian Rosso when he went up against nate landwehr and then obviously in his fight against sung Wu choi when he was unfortunately on the receiving end of getting finished uh charles jordania on the other hand i believe all of his wins have come via finish uh in his uh what is that 14 fight career 11 wins all via finish that's mainly how he likes to get his uh his wins obviously and likes to get his opponents out of there i just don't like the you know the, sometimes julian rosa is just a little bit too wild and leaves his chin a little bit too out there and 
almost has a little bit of that tall man defense syndrome uh he does have uh what is that a three four inch re- uh, height advantage here as well as a five inch reach advantage he is definitely one of the more slender dudes at the 145 pound weight class but a lot of people have to remember that this fight is actually taking place at 150 it's a 150 pound catch weight uh because julian rosa is actually coming in on short notice in this spot so that charles can still go out there and compete Luckily for Charles, I don't think that extra five pounds is going to make too much of a difference for the bigger Julian Rosa. I do think that Charles will still end up finding that chin probably in the first or second round of this fight. Um, it almost seems like a little bit of a trap spot, but I do believe that these guys are going to go out there and bang. And I do believe that it will produce a knockout of some sort. I'd rather take the under two and a half in uh, the fight rather than taking Charles straight here. <clears throat> Again, all of Charles's wins inside the distance. I think he'll be able to replicate that here against uh, against Julian Arosa. And on the flip side, it potentially uh, covers Julian Arosa going out there and getting a finish over the, the young Charles Jordan. Right? He's a seven years older than him. He also has thirty. What is that? Thirty six fights. Thirty four fights. Sorry, compared to the uh, the fifteen or the yeah the 15 that uh that charles has so he has double the amount of experience and he's definitely fought uh, fighters like charles in the past and i do think that uh, he could devise some sort of a game plan to go out there and find the knockout of his own against charles jordan however i'm still picking the charles side here i just think his his durability is going to hold up here and i think that he'll be able to catch julian on some sort of counter and then put him down and put him away so i'm going charles jordan i will go with first round ko Jack Shore versus Ludovic Sholinian. Uh, Sholinian stepping in on short notice here. He comes in as the plus 415 underdog. Uh, and Jack Shore is the heavy favorite here at minus 525. Most people will remember Ludovic from the Ultimate Fighter, the most recent season, if you guys actually watched it. He did manage to uh, win his first fight against uh, Mitch Raposo, I believe. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, Raposo was the number one pick for Team Volkanovski. So for him to get a win over that number one seed was obviously a very good thing for him. And then in the second fight he ended up coming just short against Ricky Tercios in a phenomenal fight probably one of the best fights of the ultimate fighter that season um but he came up short via decision in that fight um he does bring some good things to the table in terms of his grappling and that seems to be where he gets the best work done but in terms of dishing out damage it seems like he does uh lack in that at times you know his win over Vince Cashiro back in LFA was very close it was a split decision you know you could uh pretty much go volume or sorry uh go control against uh damage and it seemed like the judges that night ended up going for control or at least two out of three of them went for the control that ludovic was able to secure with some of the takedowns and transitions he was able to uh get against uh vince cashero uh on the flip side we know what jack shore's game in game is uh grapple heavy take it down time and time again his striking game is improving but he definitely does want to get you to the ground find a submission find a tko or just grind you out over 15 minutes but i do think he's going to have fairly easy work here against a guy like ludovic Cholinian, who's just not ready for a guy like jack shore uh he is coming in on short notice and it's going to be very tough for him to deal with the cardio and the relentless pressure that comes from the welshman and i do like 
uh, Jack Shore in this spot, and I actually like him uh, to win inside the distance. I do think that he's going to start to wear on Ludovic the longer that this fight goes, and I do think that we see Jack Shore eventually put him away in the second or third round. Um, I think Shore has a ton of potential. The kid's 14-0, 26 years old, and he's slowly climbing up the ranks. It's kind of unfortunate that he had to take a step back here in terms of fighting Shalinian, uh, obviously, short notice nature, but at least he gets to get inside the cage and showcase his talents once again uh, and just, you know, continue to get his feet wet uh, being at that 26-year-old mark that he's currently at. The more experience you can get, the better. So even though he's a minus 500 favorite in this spot, he should absolutely go out there and cruise. I wouldn't mind people just throwing Shore into parlays this week as I do think that it's a very good matchup for him. I don't know if uh, Ludovic Klein would have like a you know, a Hail Mary knockout chance. He, in my opinion, he doesn't have crazy knockout power. Uh, and again, the majority of his fights, you see him go out there and lean on his wrestling and his grappling. Unfortunately for him, I think he's going to get outscrambled and outgrappled in this fight by the much better Jack Shore. So I'm going Jack Shore, and I'm going to take him to win this fight via second round TKO. Molly McCann versus Ji Yoon Kim. We got minus 115 on the Kim side and minus 105 on Molly McCann. So we can pretty much call this fight a pick em. Very much looking to this, uh, forward to this fight, especially from the Kim side, who, uh, you know, it seems like she's training full time now at Syndicate and uh, she really wants to round out her game. Although she didn't get the nod last time around against Alexa Grasso, who was just a better technical striker in that fight, I do think she has a really good chance of going out there and beating a girl like Molly McCann here. Now, I think that Molly McCann has a decent striking game of her own but I think for her to win this fight she's gonna to have to complete takedowns and get decent top control here to sway the judges in her favor I'd be surprised if we see a finish from either side in both uh, in the last five for Molly McCann no finishes in the last five for Ji Yoon Kim she was able to finish Nadia Kassem but a lot of people we know you know, would agree that Nadia Kassim was probably not UFC caliber at all. Uh, Ji Yoon Kim will have a three inch height advantage as well as almost a 10 inch reach advantage as well. So I think she's going to use that very well here in terms of keeping Molly McCann on the outside and just battering her with her strikes. And I think that, like I said, if Molly McCann is going to have success in this fight, she's going to need to drag it to the ground. But from what I've heard, Ji Yoon Kim has just been absolutely hammering that takedown defense in terms of training. And I feel like she should be able to keep this fight vertical. And I think it's going to be much more difficult for Ji Yoon for uh, Molly McCann to close the distance, you know, get, uh, you know, uh, a solid takedown entry and get Kim to the ground. Um, Kim, you know, her 42% takedown defense rate doesn't look the greatest, especially when she's given up two takedowns to Antonina Shevchenko. But I do think she's grown a ton since that fight. And I do think that we'll see a much more polished product from Ji and Kim this weekend. I do think that we'll see Kim absolutely punish McCann from the outside on the feet here. And I think she should take home a decision victory. But if she's not able to stop takedowns, I think she's going to run into some trouble. Molly McCann has been an you know absolute fade for me for the majority of her UFC career. You know that Belbita fight was hilarious to see. I'm not saying that I bet Belbita in that fight, but I did bet Tyler Santos. A lot of people were too low on Tyler Santos in that fight, and I was luckily able to get her around that plus one eighty range. And then even Lara Procopio, a lot of people saw the value on Procopio, hammered that line, and we were able to get a victory in that fight. Uh, but here against Kim, it's going to be very difficult for Molly McCann to go out there and impose her grappling will, as I do think she'll struggle to close the distance and then ultimately land those takedowns. So I really like Kim in this spot. I think she's going to go out there and piece up Molly McCann for 15 minutes and take home a decision victory.
Luigi Vendramini versus Patty Pimblett. We got plus 120 on Vendramini and minus 140 on the UFC newcomer and the highly anticipated debut of Patty Pimblett. Now, I heard about Patty Pimblett years and years ago. You know, this guy was making his waves on the Cage Warrior scene and really was starting to build up a bit of a fan base for himself based off of his, you know, shaggy type looks and his just boisterous attitude. Uh, but a lot of people really started to compare him to uh, Conor McGregor, you know, even Ariel Hawani, uh, who, you know, I feel like really start to put Conor McGregor on early in his career before he even made it to the UFC was talking about Patty Pimblett saying like you know I'm getting the same amount of response uh, about Patty Pimblett as I used to get about uh, Mr. Conor McGregor so it's definitely something that we need to keep our eye on and uh, I think soon thereafter he ended up losing his fight to Nadir Amani if I'm not mistaken he was actually offered a contract by the UFC but he wanted to get paid more so he's like let me just fight a couple more times and show you guys that I'm the shit uh, and then I'll sign with you guys and then he goes out there and loses to Nadir Amani as a minus 230 favorite he does bounce back uh gets a victory over savitas uh submits somebody who's a minus 395 favorite in that fight and then again we saw the patty pimblet talk start to rise again uh i believe the ufc did on after offer him another contract at that time uh and he still turned it down ended up taking the sore back fight and then lost that fight then he just disappeared I believe he took a grappling fight or a grappling bout against Stevie Ray in that time, which he ended up losing, which is obviously not a good look to lose to Stevie Ray in a grappling match. And you're supposed to be the grappling guy. Uh, and then he goes out there and just absolutely decimates two guys that just didn't even deserve to be in the cage there with him, right? Minus 525 favorite against uh, Dalton uh, or Decky, Decker Dalton, I believe the kid's name was. And then a minus 625 against David Martinez goes out there and finishes both those guys in the first round. Now here, he's, I think he's going to have his work cut out against uh, for him against a black belt like Luigi Vendramini who who throws absolute heat in his hands as well I think Patty Pimblett's game is a lot or a lot of it is surrounded by you know getting takedowns and really implementing his grapple heavy approach but I think he's going to run to some trouble in terms with this black belt uh that Luigi Vendramini uh possesses in this fight Vendramini that's his game too he wants to drag fights to the ground and really get his jiu-jitsu game going but I do think that uh, Vendramini is a little bit more accredited than what Patty bring Patty Pimblett brings to the table uh Vendramini he does have a KO victory over Justin Ayari two fights ago, but then his last fight against Ferris ZM, he just got absolutely picked apart at range outside of that third round where he had tremendous success in terms of getting the fight to the ground, but just ultimately could not find a, a submission, nor was there enough for him to warrant 10-8 uh, rounds from uh, all the judges. I believe at least one judge actually gave him a 10-8, but the other two judges ended up giving ZM the fight 29-28. I don't think he's going to have to worry about that level of striking here against Paddy Pimblett. I think both guys are going to look to grapple in this scenario, and I'm actually going to lean with the underdog here in Vendramini. I do think he has the better grappling game. I do think he'll be able to stay out of the bad positions that Paddy Pimblett will probably put him in. But I do think that Vendramini is gonna, you know, find himself on top or just, you know, have the better uh have the better movements and techniques in the jujitsu game. And I think he'll be able to find Paddy Pimblett uh in some sort of choke or a finish of some sort. Uh Paddy Pimblett, if I'm not mistaken, he has uh, so he lost to Stevie Ray in a grappling fight back in 2019, uh, but his first ever loss came to, I guess now former fighter, UFC fighter Cameron Ellis, if, if, if people remember Cameron Ellis, who got absolutely decimated by Aaron Phillips, uh, or Kyler Phillips, I should say, and I believe he had one more fight after that, can't recall it, but he did get Anaconda choked by him 35 seconds into the first round, and then again, like I said, two years ago, getting submitted by uh, Stevie Ray via Hill Hook, just not a good look on his record at all, now he's going up against a high-level BJJ black belt. 
I'm on the Vendramini side here. I think Vendramini also has a lot of power in his hands, just as he showed in the Jess and Iari fight. So he could potentially put Patty in some trouble on the feet and then eventually find something on the ground here. So I'm actually going to go Vendramini. I'm going to go Vendramini by second round submission in this spot as well. Um, I think the under two and a half is not too bad of a play here either. Let me just see what that is before uh, before I talk out of my bollocks. Um Oh, look at that. Uh, the widely available total is actually uh, the one and a half. So over one and a half is minus 175. So there could be a potential bit of value on the under one and a half at plus 155, as I do believe the Vendramini can get this done within two rounds. I'm going to call for a prediction, though. I'm going to say Vendramini round two submission. Khalil Roundtree versus Modestus Bukowskis. We got minus 150 on Bukowskis and plus 130 on Khalil Roundtree. Let's start off on the Roundtree side of things, who's coming off a very lackluster performance against Marcin Pracnow, where he was a minus 420 favorite going into that fight, and he absolutely shit the bed as we saw Pracnow go out there, outpoint him, and win his fight via decision. Before that, we saw him get taken down and absolutely blasted by Iwan Kutilaba, and that was quickly thereafter, uh, where, you know, the fight before that, sorry, he had against Eric Anders, and everybody was completely you know saying that this guy is a newfound version especially once he once he moved to thailand started working with tiger muay thai and developed this thai style you know the high hands uh big leg kicks good combinations uh but you know eric anders was the perfect opponent for him to go out there and showcase something like that but after that like i said iwan kutilapa decides to just take him down and fuck him up there and then the prakniel fight it just didn't seem like khalil could get started but we also have to credit the kick heavy game of prakniel as it seemed like he was very uh active and and you know uh his output was very high in that fight and it didn't allow khalil roundtree to truly get going in there um I actually had a bet on the under one and a half in that fight, and I'm kicking myself uh, looking at back at it now, trusting guys like at this level to go out there and get a finish. Uh, but, you know, I think that uh, that uh, Roundtree is not really becoming that guy that we thought he was coming off the ultimate fighter. Bukowski's, I think, has a great path to victory in this fight, which is kicking. It's something that he really enjoys to do, especially at that six foot three uh, height, um, you know, standing that tall. Uh, it's something that we see from him a lot. He throws a lot of leg kicks, especially to the body. To the legs and i think that's going to disrupt the game of khalil and i think khalil was struggling in terms of closing the distance and actually getting his shots off here i think bukowskis if he wants to as well a lot of people alluded it to uh, alluded to it in the oleg shajak fight where you know his best path to victory is probably going for a takedown here now oleg shajak showed decent takedown defense early in that fight when bukowskis tried to take him down but i think that if bukowskis wants to get roundtree down he should be able to and then from there he should be able to put his purple belt i believe that he has to work and uh he could potentially you know finish uh round three on the ground or just continue to grind the fight out uh this is one of those fights where like the fight doesn't go to decision or the under one and a half seems to be to be a bit of a trap spot especially with book houses you know two fight losing streak round three two fight losing streak they want to play it very safe they want to play it you know um uh very disciplined not overextend on anything too much and you know not really leave themselves to be knocked out so i think we could we could see a little bit more of a grueling fight than anything i'm actually going to lean with the uh, the favorite here i tried making a case for my uh in my brain uh you know to take the plus 130 on khalil roundtree but i just can't do it you know the like i said the kick having game here from because i think is going to be very big for him especially to kind of stall uh the 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 output and the comfortability that khalil will actually have in that cage unless we see a 
killer killer or killer Khalil where he just goes out there balls to the wall and just tries to get the knockout I think we're going to see a quite a boring fight here where they're playing at range and the potential of grapple fucking from Modestus Bukowskis so I'm actually going to go with Bukowskis I'm going to take him to win this fight by decision uh again a bit of a head scratcher in terms of the total or the fight goes to decision here but I do think that we'll see a complete all-around game from Bukowskis here uh, like I said, set up with the striking, uh, stunting the the comfortability and stunting the the progression of what Khalil Rountree is going to do in terms of output, and then maybe mix in a couple takedowns and some clinch work to, to truly win some minutes and sway the judges in his favor. So I'm going Bukowskis, and I'm going to take him to win this fight via decision. David Zawada versus Alex Morono. We got plus 120 on Zawada and minus 140 on Alex Morono and we've seen a ton of line movement on this fight I believe I believe the Zawada actually opened up as a bigger underdog uh yeah opened up in that plus 150 range and has gotten bet all the way down to plus 120 and I wouldn't even be surprised if this fight goes off as a pick on once uh the uh, once the fight kicks off now the reason I say that is I see nothing but love for David Zavada on the t- Twitter timeline and any of the predictions that I've uh, sought out so far um, and I, I don't really understand it to begin with, you know, obviously uh, Morono doesn't really bring a lot to the table and usually, you know, uh, people tend to fade him more often than not, but he does have a decent skill set in terms of being able to go out there and put on some volume on his opponents. Like there are numerous times where you see him, you know, always staying in his opponent's face and just throwing whatever it is just to continuously spam, uh, you know, activity against his opponent and more often than not they they usually falter under that david zavada you know very good on the ground that's probably where he wants to get the fight to have success but has shown some decent striking ability in the past as well but i believe he's going to be you know have his work cut out for him uh in this fight especially with having a guy like alex morono who's just going to stay in his face for the entire time i don't think that david zavada has crazy knockout power so i don't think there's going to be too much to worry about on the morono side of things if this fight does stay upright but even on the ground i I think that Morono is good enough with his black belt that he should be able to nullify any of the grapple heavy attempts that uh, David Jawada uh, attempts or even any of the submissions that he tries to throw up here. I'd be kind of surprised if you see Morono go out there and try to grapple fuck Zawada in this spot. I do think we'll see classic Morono, which is just staying in his opponent's face, spamming output combinations, whatever the hell it is. Even though technically speaking, it may not look the greatest, he still does have some decent output and some good power behind those shots to make his opponents kind of respect him. I like uh, Morono in this spot, and I'm kind of happy that the line is getting better and better. And I feel like I'm going to be in the you know a bit of the... Uh, the 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 uh, bit of an island i should say uh picking morono this week but i do think that a lot of people that were looking to back savannah in this spot were really liking the amount of plus money that they were getting on him at that time uh Zavada did have a close fight against ramazan amiva last time around but the issue with amiva is he has a close fight no matter who the fuck he's fighting you know more often than not he's a minus 300 minus 400 even minus 500 favorite at times but it's not like he's going out there and absolutely blowing out his competition which may you know falsely lead people to believe that Zavada is a much better product than he actually is just because he performed better than what his odds indicated that night against Ramazan Amiv uh, I think it's going to show here against Morono who again not a high level guy you know kind of a mid-tier fighter at you know at best uh, but I think his uh, output durability and ability to move forward and pressure his opponents will be enough for him to get the win this weekend so I'm going Alex Morono uh, and I'm actually going to take him to win this fight via decision I think both guys are quite durable so I don't think we'll see a finish here i'd be surprised if either guys subbed each other uh but uh yeah i do like morona here and i'm going to take him to win this fight via decision
Sergey Spivak versus Tom Aspinall. We got plus 195 on Spivak and minus 235 the return on the Englishman Tom Aspinall. Let's start off on the Aspinall side of things. It's pretty much been, you know, off to the races as soon as he got to the UFC. Quick finish of Jake Collier in his UFC debut. Quick finish of Alan Baudot in his second fight. And then in the third fight, he takes on UFC veteran Andre Arlovsky and then quickly submits him in the second round, which was a very weird position. It didn't even seem like Arlovsky tried fighting it. Uh, you know, Aspinall had it under the chin pretty much from the get-go. And, uh, you know, again, Arlovsky didn't even fight it. Didn't even fight the hands or anything like that. It's like, okay, you got me and he tapped out and that was about it. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that was the fight where Sergey Spivak was originally supposed to fight Tom Aspinall, and we got uh, Spivak pulling out, Andre Arlovsky coming in, and now it's Spivak actually coming in on the short notice here against Tom Aspinall, who's also taking this on relatively short notice, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Aspinall to everybody, you know, on the surface seems like the guy, seems like the shit at a hundred, uh, uh, at this heavyweight division. He seems like the very bright prospect, but I feel like there's still a couple holes in his games that we need to flesh out first before we can truly give him that stamp of approval that he's going to be a top five guy or give a guy like Francis Ngannou or Sir Gan so many fits. Um, Tom Aspinall, good striker, crisp striking, you know, very light on his feet at times. Has a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but honestly, I'm not very impressed with it, to be honest. Uh, he won a bunch of awards back in 2010, 2011 in jiu-jitsu. I believe he was only 17 or 18 years old at the time. But about five years later, he goes out there and gets submitted by Stuart Austin. Stuart Austin, if you guys remember from a couple of PFLs ago, he actually got knocked out by Hennan Ferreira within, within like the first combination that he threw. Um, you know, not saying Stuart Austin's a bad opponent, you know, he did his thing over there in EFC at times, uh, but it just not a good look for Tom Aspinall to, you know, seem like he was trying to get Stuart Austin out of there and then eventually gassed out and got heel hooked in that fight. Not a good look for him at all. I want to see him get extended. You know, I think Sergey Spivak, outside of him getting uh, absolutely bulldozed by uh, by Walt Harris in his UFC debut, he's looked pretty good. You know, the, the Marcin Tabura, that was a very tough, grueling fight for him. He was able to... Um, he ended up making it the full 50 minutes and losing a decision in that fight. But since then, it has looked very good. You know, goes out there and uh, outworks Carlos Philippe and then eventually gets that takedown in the third round to secure that fight. The Jared Vandera fight, that, you know, is seeking takedowns right off the bat. The Alexei Olenek fight, you know, did a good job in terms of nullifying the grapple-heavy approach from Olenek, but then was really good in terms of uh, asserting his dominance from on top and really laying it on Olenek in that fight. I think that uh, here he should be able to survive early against Tom Aspinall. And then I think that he's really going to start to put his weight on Tom Aspinall and then really start to you know suck the energy out of him, land some takedowns, do some good work in the clinch, but really nullify the the speed and the, the, the precise striking approach of Tom Aspinall. You know, Aspinall could probably start him in that first minute or that first round, uh, but that's just not a high percentage outcome in my opinion. I think that Spivak has learned from his mistakes of that Walt Harris fight, you know, mixing the fact that he had some, um, you know, some UFC jitters if you want to call it that but I think that we'll see a much more composed version of him now especially now that he has about six or seven fights under his belt um I'm not too concerned uh, about Spivak in this fight and I'm kind of surprised that uh, there are more people that are actually seeing the Spivak side of things not just me I was hoping that was going to be that one nutcase during fight week that's going to be like Spivak is live in this spot and he is absolutely live you know Tom Aspinall I believe has a bright future but we need to see more things from him before we can label him as that you know contender that a lot of people believe that he is I think he's going to struggle with Spivak here and I know Spivak seemed to be slowing down a little bit against Olenek in that third round but I do believe that Aspinall 
has a very suspect gas tank of his own. What's it going to look like, especially when he's going to have to grapple here against a guy like Sergei Spivak, who is just a polar bear when it comes to uh, him going in there and just actually, you know, just just laying on his opponents and really putting them to grueling clinch and grinding and grappling positions. I don't think Aspinall is ready for that. So Aspinall should be, you know, should have a good first round here. But after that, I think we'll see, you know, what he's truly made of. This could be another live betting opportunity if you want to take Spivak, if you truly think he's going to lose the first round. But what I'm looking to do is just wait until later into fight week. You know, we did see that Tom Aspinall love come in early. Then we saw some Sergey Spivak love, which brought the line down to that plus 190-ish. But I think as the fight week goes on, a lot of people are going to be wowed by Tom Aspinall and they're going to actually start putting more money on him. Uh, And then I think we'll see that Spivak line get up to that plus 220-ish, plus 230-ish line, which is probably where I'll pull the trigger. I like Spivak in this spot. I think he wins this fight by decision, and I don't think it's just a decision that he could win by. I think he could possibly finish Tom Aspinall later in this fight, depending on how bad Tom Aspinall's gas tank truly is. I'm not 100% sold on it yet. Uh, hopefully, we get to find it out this week, and hopefully, we get to see this fight go into the third round and see if Tom Aspinall has truly what it takes to win. On the fr- Again, on the surface, looks like a contender. But he hasn't been pushed yet. And I feel like he's going to be pushed here uh, with Sergei Spivak. So I'm actually going to take the big plus money here on Spivak and take him to win this fight via decision. Although I'll look to potentially take a third round poke here at Spivak as I, again, not a big believer of Aspinall's gas tank. So I'm going Spivak as an official prediction. I'll go with Spivak via decision. But again, round three prop is definitely live here. So Sergei Spivak, let's go. Time for the main event. We got Derek Brunson going up against Darren Till. We got plus 150 on Brunson and minus 170 on the returning Darren Till. Let's start off with the Darren Till side of things, who hasn't competed since, I believe, October of last year when he lost a decision to uh, Robert Whitaker. It was a very hard-fought fight on both sides, but it was ultimately the takedowns and uh, you know some of the more effective striking that we saw from Robert Whitaker that allowed him to get the victory over Darren Till. Now, Darren Till, you know, his last five doesn't look the juiciest, right? He's two and three. Uh, one of them being a title shot that he then ended up losing to Tyron Woodley in a fight where he just didn't throw any strikes in the first round. It seemed like he was very hesitant about the power that was coming his way. And then in the second round, once he actually let go, he got countered perfectly by Woodley and then eventually got subbed quickly thereafter. So uh, not a good look for uh, Tyron, Tyron, uh, Darren Till in his fight where he actually went off as a slight favorite in that fight. A lot of people were very high on him, but he just wasn't ready for that occasion and and that's exactly why he ended up losing that night next up he goes up against uh jorge masvidal and it seemed like a fight where he was almost overlooking masvidal as he was a minus 225 favorite going into that fight and did some good work in the first round but then eventually in the second round gets knocked out by jorge masvidal and that was uh you know masvidal's kind of launching pad which led him into that uh, Ben Askren fight, and then his career took off after that. Then we saw Darren Till come back at UFC 244, I believe it was, against Calvin Gaslam, and he was able to uh, outpoint Gaslam in a much more disciplined approach from, than what we've ever seen from Darren Till in the past, and that was a good look for Darren Till, at least for things that were to come for him in the future. Now, the Robert Whitaker fight, like I said, it kind of came down to Robert Whitaker landing some takedowns, getting some control time, and even having more effective striking, but Darren Till did show some signs of life in that fight and showed that he could definitely go out there and still compete he's only 28 years old you know he's nine years younger than Derek Brunson in this spot uh and it still and it still feels like Darren Till can go out there and actually have some success by letting his hands go and showing showing that he still has some knockout power um 
Derek Brunson, on the other hand, he's kind of like resurged his career, right? Uh, after that Israel Adesanya loss, he's pulled together four straight wins. Uh, two of them actually, where I had him as a pretty big underdog. Uh, most recently against, or sorry, most recently against Kevin Holland, where he was able to execute takedowns uh, at opportune moments and just grind out Kevin Holland over the majority of five rounds. Uh, and then the Edmund Shabazian fight, where he kind of you know survived that early onslaught, and then Shabazian started to slow down, and we saw Derek Brunson really start to go to work, and then eventually get that finish early in that third round. Uh, the Kevin Holland fight was very interesting though, right? Like even when in spots where Kevin Holland was able to get back to his feet, it seemed like Derek Brunson was in a ton of trouble and I was holding a Derek Brunson ticket, like I said, and I was really sweating my ass off every time Kevin Holland found his way back to his feet because it just did not look like Derek Brunson was enjoying getting hit whenever Kevin Holland actually let his hands go. Luckily for Derek Brunson, Kevin Holland doesn't have the greatest takedown defense, which is why Brunson was able to lean on those takedowns whenever he was in trouble. Now, Darren Till, 82% takedown defense. You know, the most people that are the only people that have truly had success with takedowns against Darren Till seemed to be Robert Whitaker and earlier in his career against Nicholas Dalby, where he ended up getting a draw in that fight. Uh, Tyron Woodley, again, that 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 it wasn't really a takedown that he landed in that fight. He landed a perfect shot, dropped Darren Till, and then just started to do his work from on top from there. Uh, so I'm not taking too much from that either. There have been other fighters that have successfully taken him down, but they've had real trouble in terms of holding him down. And that's what I'm expecting here against Derek Brunson. I think Darren Till will get taken down probably once or twice in the first two rounds. But after that, I think it's going to be much more difficult for Brunson to take him down. And then we know Darren Till is an absolute savage on the feet when he actually lets his hands go. And I think he'll be able to do that here against Derek Brunson. We did see Kevin Holland have good success on the feet against Derek Brunson, especially as the time and the uh, the fight started to progress further into it. Because uh, Derek Brunson, you know, decent gas tank, but it definitely, definitely feels like he's a lot more vulnerable on the feet later in fights. And I don't think that's a good sign for him, especially going up against a hard puncher like Darren Till. I think Till will find success later in this fight and then, uh, then eventually put away Brunson. Uh, but I'm not going to rule out an early Brunson KO either. That's something that a lot of people seem to be overlooking about Der overlooking about Derek Brunson's game is that he still has some power in his hands. And Till does seem to be a little bit chinny at times. So uh, we could definitely see Derek Brunson blast him uh, and, and that could definitely have some value in itself. But a lot of th uh, people, I think, especially in the breakdowns this week, they're going to be looking at Derek Brunson landing takedowns and then grinding out a decision victory. The way that I see it, though, is that I think we'll see Till give up the first couple rounds, but after that, we'll see him start to pick it up. And then I think we'll eventually see him take Derek, Brun or Derek Brunson out of there probably in the the third or fourth round of this fight. So my official prediction here is actually going to be Darren Till in round four. Um, again, it's going to look dicey leading up to it. And as long as Brunson doesn't finish him early here, which I think is, you know, somewhat low percentage outside of that, you know, uh, Hail Mary KO that he could potentially land on the feet when he, you know, maybe fakes a takedown or something like that. He could definitely blast Darren Till on the feet. But Till is able to, you know, keep his wits about him uh, and, and and kind of look out for those big shots. He should be able to kind of evade that. He might get taken down, like I said. But then I think as Derek Brunson starts to slow down, just as his grappling heavy approach is just so exerting in terms of his energy, I think it's going to be very tough for him to, you know, get Darren Till down the later that this fight goes. And I think it's going to be even harder for him to get away from the big shots of uh, Darren Till. So I'm going Darren Till, fourth round KO.
And that's a wrap on the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. If you haven't already, please hit that like, hit that subscribe. And if you're listening on iTunes, drop a review for your boy. One of these one of these weeks, I'm actually going to go back to the reviews and read some of the good ones that are out there. So shout out to you guys if you guys are able to do that. Get me a better rating on iTunes so people can take notice of your boy. Um, and I don't know if you can do it on Spotify or any of these other podcasting places, but if you can, that would obviously be very, very uh, much appreciated. But obviously the main hub here is going to be the YouTubes so if you haven't already make sure you hit that like hit that subscribe and uh, if you want to show your boy some extra support hit up the Patreon five bucks a month I've already laid out all the perks for you guys don't need to do it again but if you want to support to the fullest extent, that is the way to do so. And then lastly, shout out to CoolBet, CoolBet.com. Use promo code MMALOTN2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. All right, that's a wrap on this week. And next week is actually a dead week. However, we do have the Contender Series, which had just started up the other day. Uh, I won't be doing any videos for the Contender Series, but I will be adding some write-ups to my Patreon for the Contender Series very fishy to bet on the contender series in my opinion given the external factors of you know you need to have a, a, a highlight reel type of performance to get signed to the ufc sometimes it makes guys not really fight to the to their normal uh tendencies and that is a little bit of a you know really messes with me uh so i'll talk a little bit about it more on the uh, the next episode but again i will be dropping some written breakdowns for those fights the contender series fights on my patreon so that's where you you guys will be able to get that information all right hit that like hit that subscribe good luck on your best this week and lastly ultimate uh weigh-in show on friday absolutely fire uh lineup that we have james Krause coming back and then obviously we got fight ready's eddie cha head coach over there or one of the head coaches over there uh who's going to be joining the show and we will uh break down the card for you guys friday night at 9 p.m eastern so make sure you guys go check that out all right i'm done let's get out of here appreciate you guys checking out the show and good luck on your bets this weekend